just a wee bit of background before I read the, the passage. Paul had a dream that a man from Macedonia was calling him to come over to help them. So they set off to Philippi via Troas and Napolis, which was about 90 miles in all, and arrived at Philippi. They met some women who were praying at the riverside, and Lydia, a seller of purple goods and her household, were converted and baptised. And she invited the travellers to come and stay at her home. We pick up the story one day as Paul and Silas were walking along the street to the place of prayer, probably with Luke in tow. So from verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial 
and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Amen. And may God bless this reading of his holy word to our hearts and our minds. Gracious Lord God, may the words I am to impart this morning reach minds and hearts. And may I speak with your blessing and authority as we continue now in our wonder to study your word of life. Amen. Well, this morning I'm perhaps going to, well, I know I'm going to preach away from the current series that James has been looking at, I understand. I'm going right back to some of the basics this morning. And it might be a warm reminder for the devoted and the mature Christian And it is a message that the world should be hearing from all Christians in one way or another. And so it's with that in mind, I want you to take us back to the fundamental questions of our faith. For there may be those listening that need to revisit this theology or they need to hear it for the first time. And I refer, of course, to the plan of salvation that God in his grace has manifested across this world through the sacrificial actions of his son, Jesus. His death, his resurrection as the basis of our faith belief. The reason the gospels were written, the reason for the letters Paul wrote to the churches in Asia Minor and Europe in the first century, and the reason the apostles traveled far and wide spreading the good news. Well, studying this passage from Acts and the Philippian jailer, we can revisit some fundamental questions about the Christian faith. Namely, the question your jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? Saved from what? Saved to what? And being saved, what are we saved to do? Well, we're looking at this passage from the records of Luke's journeying with Paul in the province of Macedonia in particular in the region of Philippi, the most important town in the region. Paul and Silas are put in jail then. And you see, Paul had a dream of a man from Macedonia calling to him, if we read back in verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So he and his friend Silas traveled there to Philippi, where there was no synagogue, just a handful of women who prayed by the river. And here we witness the first convert in Europe a very wealthy seller of purple goods, a lady called Lydia. She and her entire household were converted that day, and she invited the travelers to stay at her house. However, events overtook her missionaries. Strange 
coincidences or divine intervention. You can choose. But the course God chose for our travelers seldom was easy. While walking the streets, Paul and Silas are followed by a servant girl or a slave girl who we understand had the power of divination. A lucrative business for some unscrupulous men who exploited her condition. A very disturbed youngster by all accounts. And Paul gets annoyed at her constant rant following her around the streets. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants. And Paul would do any amount of business with non-believers. But he wasn't content to negotiate with a demon. And so in his frustration and annoyance, he turned and he commanded that demon spirit to leave the girl. And she was cured and sane immediately. But no longer able to give oracles or tell the future. And her masters were furious at Paul for the loss of their income. These Jews are stirring up trouble. Strange, isn't it? Now, they weren't complaining firstly about the gospel message, but about their own personal selfish things. And I wonder at this course of events, because anyone else, maybe you and I, might have put up with this slave girl ranting and just waved it off. But not Paul. God must have known his nature. You're going to jail, Paul. Sorry. But there is ministry to be had there. They dragged the men to the town square before the magistrates where summary sentence and beatings were given to Paul and Silas and they were thrown into jail, bound hand and foot in wooden stocks, still smarting from the rods across their backs. Strangely, Paul leaves out telling the magistrates that they're Roman citizens. Or maybe he isn't heard in a rabble. And then perhaps he waits on the greater purpose of God. And was prepared to suffer the deprivation to obedient to God. To see what would turn out like he did on many occasions on his journeys. For if he had been grudgingly let off and was on his way, the jailer and his family and a fledgling church in Philippi may never have been planted and strengthened there. And so we enter the prison at midnight and somewhere in the dark there's two voices and they're praying and they're singing about Jesus Christ, about God and his wisdom, about heaven and salvation, about peace and good news to all people. And the jailer slept, unaware of this worship. And then a violent earthquake awakens all and partially destroys the jail, throwing open all the doors and shaking off the stocks holding Paul and Silas. And the jailer, thinking all the prisoners had escaped, was about to commit suicide because death would be his fate if the authorities found out. For the jailer who let a prisoner escape would face the same sentence himself by the law. And perhaps there were people on death row in this prison awaiting to be transported to Rome. However, whether too scared to run in the night or being subdued by the Holy Spirit, no one escaped, least of all Paul and Silas. And he called to the jailer not to harm himself. And here, the jailer asks a question the whole world should be asking then and today. On his knees, before the two prisoners, he asked, What must I do to be saved? Saved from what? 
save to what? Then what? And perhaps the jailer had heard of Paul, had been saying of Jesus on the road to salvation. Perhaps he thought his life being saved in the physical called for some saving grace to be given to his soul. For no doubt he had been a true man in his time. I expect all Christians know the answer to these questions for you and I will have reflected them over a lifetime. But some might need a little reminder and it does no harm to revisit our roots. But firstly, can you see from the the reading that Paul and Silas in their dingy, dark, smelly cell, they weren't sitting and moaning and groaning because of their condition or their predicament. They were singing hymns. And praying to God, they were not defeated. It wasn't the end. The gospel message was still needing to be shared. So let us be assured that we can worship in any circumstances, any any situation, even ones where others would despair. And here Paul and Silas, in the most desperate situation, still worshiping God, still singing and praying in the dark, still sharing the good news of salvation. And hopefully we will not be tested in that way. But it it is happening elsewhere as we speak. They considered themselves worthy because of their suffering for Christ. And secondly, we must ask, what had God intended here by sending the party to Macedonia? in response to the dream Paul had, if it wasn't to make some kind of encounter with people and leave a church there bolstered and encouraged. And that certainly was the case, despite the rejection and the beatings they took. But the most important thing for us this morning is the question of that faith in Christ. The fundamental beliefs that we share in the gospel message preached in our passage to the jailer and to his household, and the way in which it enriched and it changed their lives. The way in which the offer of salvation touched their hearts. And the question then, what do we need to do to be saved? A question we might have been asked already. We may have already been sincerely asked that question on our Christian walk. A true response to the gospel message we have been lovingly giving out to all who will listen, all who have ears to hear. What do I have to do to be saved? Saved from what? You know, it's amazing that we all have an inbuilt need to find a true God and to be at peace with Him. Weren't we created in the image of God and for fellowship with God? By the entrance of sin in the world, spoiled that image and severed that fellowship. Our Bibles teach us it is impossible for us to attain heaven by our own efforts. The wonder of Christianity is that God comes to us. His plan of salvation, redeeming us by the sacrifice of his own son Jesus, repairing that broken fellowship. Saving all from a life of death in sin. And Paul's response to the jailer's question, and to all who would want to know how to get right with God, is quite simple. In Acts 16, verse 31, he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and to his household in Acts 16, verse 32. And before the night was over, the jailer's household were rejoicing that all had believed in the one true God and come to faith in Jesus. And what were they to believe about Jesus? Well, in Romans 10 and 9, it says, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And those who believe are accepted into fellowship with the church on the basis of a public acknowledgement of some fundamental truths about God's Son, that he is Lord and Master of our lives, that God raised him from the dead, But more importantly, believers are received into fellowship with God himself through an inner working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when humankind broke that fellowship with God, we became subject to corruption in our nature and a will which is naturally inclined to evil. And I know some who are not Christians, they still refute the faith because they believe they're good people. But being a good person isn't enough. It is to be commended, but it isn't enough. The root of every sin found a home in our hearts. The world itself is subject to decay. And Paul tells us in the letter to the Romans that on this planet there is no one good. No, not a single person. Not in the sense of being completely innocent from sin. Only Christ is sinless. We watch the news And we might despair of humanity, looking at the state of the world today, and the cruelty and the selfishness we can enter into against our fellow beings. That's I been the way, hasn't it? Since sin came into this world. The guilt of Adam is the first man's sin has become the responsibility of us all. And we each born into rebellion against God. Sin leads to estrangement from God forever. Worse still is to die without having made peace with God through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. A sacrifice we see to have been accepted through his resurrection from the dead. And there is the fearful judgment of eternal separation from God for those who remain in their rebellion against God. And will not accept the way of escape. Which he freely offers. In John 3 and 18. It is from condemnation that believers are saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. And so we believe in Jesus and we are saved. But. Our belief must be something more than just accepting the facts about Jesus. Even Satan knows Jesus. It's to be a commitment, a hope, a trust. It must be a faith that seeks his blessing to the exclusion of other gods in our lives. All other distractions, even those things that are dear to us even. We're saved to what? Well, we know John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What believers are saved to is eternal life. This is the alternative to eternal separation from God. 
It's a never-ending acceptance into God's presence, celebrating renewed fellowship with him. And it begins immediately, you ask Jesus into your heart. The moment one believes in Jesus as their master, isn't that amazing? It begins in the present. When we believe our inner being, our soul, has been made right with God. Those who put their trust in Jesus are already enjoying eternal life even now. Death is but a turning of the page to a new chapter. It continues forever. And when Jesus returns at the end of time, the dead will be raised and we will all face the judgment seat of God. Believers will be conformed to his image and received into heaven to be with him forever. What shall we do then? What shall we do then? At the dawn of the New Testament church history, Peter and the apostles were asked, what shall we do by the crowds? And Peter's reply at Pentecost was the message that had been proclaimed by both John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus. And it should be ours as well. Repent. Acts 2 verses 37 and 38. Repent. Twinned with our belief in Jesus, our faith must be a sense of our own unworthiness to stand before God on our own account. Of our inability to get ourselves right with God and our need for forgiveness and cleansing by him. We must turn from our sins and accept Jesus as our Lord and Master and be baptized. And when we do that, amazing things will happen in our lives, in the church, and hopefully in the world. The Philippian jailer and his family were baptized that very night, were changed forever. Immediately he began to be kind. He gave hospitality to wash their wounds, and I expect his neighbors would have been curious and amazed at the change in the man. Just the way we are when we hear some bad person being kind and truthful and and witnessing for Jesus. Can we be so sure? Can we be so much at peace knowing we are loved by the creator of all things and will go on to be with him in his eternal life that we're living in right now? And finally, saved for what? God has a special purpose for us. Hopefully not to languish in a jail. But wherever that leads, let us worship and be joyful that we consider ourselves worthy to go in all circumstances with thanksgiving in our hearts and a special knowledge that there is purpose in the suffering if it comes. Paul and Silas are set free and they're asked to leave the town, but they don't go quietly. Now Paul plays the Roman citizen card. And those in authority are fearful for their lives. To punish a Roman citizen this way with no trial was punishable by death. And Paul makes them come and apologize and escort them out of the prison. Such was the audacity of Paul. He was no walkover. But Paul was probably aware that the fledgling church he was leaving needed this encouragement to see that they could stand up to the persecution and the rejection that was coming their way. We are saved to do the same. To go and to stand up for Christ, to offer encouragement, to witness in the face of rejection and opposition. Many do, many will, 
and many will find great joy in the doing of it. So let us remember that it is love that saves us from sin to righteousness. It is love that sends us to aid those struggling to have peace with God and to let them know of God's news, the good news, that there is a way back from sin to everlasting life because Jesus made a way where there was no other way. What shall we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from our sin and ask Jesus into our hearts. Lives will be changed forever, just like Lydia and her household, just like the jailer and his family. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling to you and to me, O sinner, come home. Will we open our hearts to that call this morning once more and find his saving grace awaits us? If so, let us pray. Loving Lord God, like the disciples once asked, increase our faith. Help us to be assured of your love and saving grace when we open our minds and hearts to you. We pray for those who are struggling in their faith, for those with no faith, that by your Holy Spirit you might touch their hearts so that they might seek you for the promise of that covenant of love you so freely offer. In Jesus' name, amen.